Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. turn to Mark chapter 1, we are going to finish up our series here called Go Disciple. We've been talking about how Jesus made this commandment to the disciples. He said, listen, at the end of his resurrection, he's like, listen, here's the deal. I want you to go. And as you go, as you do life, I want you to make disciples. And so the call to evangelism is more than uh, just sharing the gospel. It is about making disciples, taking on a student, meaning we're pouring into one another. We're teaching and training whoever's coming to Christ, helping them to discover Jesus and to grow in Christ just as we are growing ourselves. And so we've been on this conversation about uh, what it means to, to disciple somebody and some of the challenges and some of the things. And today I want to wrap up uh, by, by challenging us to, uh, to really be bridges that can be trusted, uh, sources that can lead people uh, to Jesus and, and vice versa, that Jesus can get to people uh, through us. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about that. A few years ago, Cora and I were in Cora's uh, brother's hometown, and uh, they have this massive, massive bridge. I'm not talking like a small one that you would cross the creek here. I'm talking like a river so wide that you would require, like a boat could go through it, you know. And uh, it's an old railroad bridge. And how many know those old railroad bridges, man? They were, they were built to last, right? I mean, they're super secure, the old railroad ties, uh, the steel. And, uh, and it was really cool. And, and it's, uh, I think I actually have a picture of uh, something similar, I think in the next slide. Yeah, something similar to this. And, and so you can see water on either side, and, and then, of course, it's well-traveled. The whole time we were there, people were going back and forth, whether on ATVs or they were walking across or they were taking their cars across or trucks across, uh, maybe to go uh, fishing or to their cabin. That's a famous thing for Newfies. Um, most Newfies will live in a certain community, and then about 20 minutes away in the bush somewhere, they've got some cabin, and uh, just, just far enough that they can get on a skidoo and enjoy a good skidoo ride kind of a thing, and, and so all year round. And so, you know, for them, and actually, especially in Cora's brother's hometown, there's a lot of salmon fishing. Uh, it's a big, uh, big river, and, and, and it just flows, the way it flows, and there's great salmon fishing the whole nine yards. Um, but, you know, the thing about the bridges, and, 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 you know, bridges are something that are so necessary in life, right? We don't often think about that, but they're so important because in order to get somewhere, there's, sometimes there's obstacles in our way, whether it's a, you know, a, a valley or water or whatever, and we require a bridge to get across. And so the bridge provides access. It addresses, to some degree, the barrier, meaning the barrier is still there. But it enables you to get beyond your barrier to where you need to go or where you want to go. And in the same way, you know, I, I believe that God is calling you and I to be bridges. Meaning we, we create, uh, we don't necessarily address the barriers or the things or the struggles that people have. But we help get them beyond that to the one that can. And vice versa, through our lives, God uses us as a bridge to access the lives of the people that we care so deeply about. And I was reminded uh, on Sunday night as we were here for prayer, which was awesome. We had such a great time. And, uh, and, and I remember that afternoon, or sorry, on Saturday afternoon before this, I was thinking about, okay, how can we uh, make this creative for kids? 
And, and so I was thinking about one of the stations that I wanted to put down was stations that, you know, a, a station that where we would come and pray for people who's, uh, and wh- whatever their obstacles are, whatever their barriers, what is it that keeps them from coming to Christ or seeing Jesus? And so we, we grabbed some rocks from the side of the house and, and we had it over here in this back corner and we had people write down, you know, on the rock, different barriers or obstacles that they, they feel their friends or their neighbors have when it comes to seeing Jesus or coming to Jesus. And we wanted to, to pray through those things and believe God to weaken those areas so that, you know, when the gospel is spoken uh, and sown inside their lives, that eventually that barrier of something like pride would begin to uh, be addressed and dealt with and no longer a barrier for them coming to Christ. I mean, there's a few others here, things like uh, discontentment, uh, hopelessness. Uh, someone wrote down um, money. Someone wrote down, uh, you know, fear, uh, worldly values, self-reliance, drug addiction. I mean, there's so many. And, and I remember on, you know, Sunday night after we were just kind of slowing things down and people were kind of trickling out. And, and I just went over to the back at the very end and I just felt impressed in my heart to lay my hands on the rocks. And begin to just take time to pray through those things. And I just began to pray and all of a sudden... I just felt this overwhelming sense of how broken God's heart is when he sees the things that are listed, you know, on these rocks. That, that maybe things like stereotypes or rebellion or religion or different things like that. And how much it breaks God's heart because God's heart beats for us. It doesn't just beat for the lost. It beats for all of us. That's, that's the reason why we want our theme to be all for you, we, we want to send a message to our community that, that you know, Jesus' coming wasn't just for those of us that have a, a, an interest in religion. He came for all of us, and, and Jason's going to address that on Easter Sunday morning about the why. And, 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 and because that's really important to understand the why. It wasn't just, you know, that he had to. He did it willingly, and I'll get to that, you know, in a few moments. And I, I wrestle with that, and as I was wrestling with that, I was reminded this week that it's so important that we allow God to use us as this bridge that leads them beyond their obstacles, their barriers, their fears, their struggles, to discover the hope that is found in Christ. That they would know that there's help, and that we would help them find their way to Jesus, the very person who can address their life struggle, that can, you know, through your relationships, through your voice being used, or pointing the way, or making a way, or inviting them to something, or providing a way, whatever it is. But you and I are, are, are something that God uses like a bridge to, to get to people. And it's through your life and through your relationship. In fact, if anything, it reminds me of John the Baptist. Because I think John the Baptist was a bridge. Because God used his life and his voice as a forerunner, which I'll, we'll talk about in a second. But God used his voice and used his life to help people to get ready for Jesus. To, to be able to see Jesus, to be able to respond to Jesus and not stand in the way. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 to 7, or sorry, 1 to 8 says this. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the Son of God. For it is written in Isaiah, the, uh, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, speaking to the, the Messiah here, who will prepare your way. A voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he's, he's pulling their attention back to you. It's, it's, it's pulling away from the self-reliance that the Jewish nation had gotten to, a, you know, to that point. The religious leaders had kind of gotten off track. It was a little more religious. And, and John is trying to pull them back to the, the center of the message of the relationship with God. It's about repentance for the forgiveness of sins so that the relationship can be restored. And so he goes on to say that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John was, was and, and I don't think I have this up on the screen, and, and I have it here, and I took it out for a reason, and we'll get back to this in a second, because it's a passage uh, or a, a, a verse that kind of feels out of place, because we're already getting a description of what John did, now we're getting a description of who John is. And it says this, that John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. Now, I got to tell you, every time I read this, I feel like this verse is out of place. But I'll explain why it's not in a few moments, at least for me. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I. Again, here's John the Baptist. I'm pointing to someone more important. I'm just here to give you access. I'm just here to grab your attention. I'm just here to help build a bridge or be a bridge so that you can get to where you need to go. Your destination is in Jesus, but I've got to do some things in order to get you there. I've got to prep you to get there. And he goes on to say this, that, that Jesus, the person that's coming, will be more powerful than him the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. For I baptize you with water. I bring a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I think in this context we're talking about the transformation of life. You know, the role of the Holy Spirit coming in and leading us in all truth and sanctifying our lives so that we can stand before God. Because remember, you know, Israel's tradition, the picture was you made a sacrifice every single year for your sins. Well, Jesus is about to pay the price one time, for all time, forever, for all of history. And then the Holy Spirit does work that transforms our lives and begins to remove the consequences of sin, the shame of sin, the brokenness of sin, and restores our life to the wholeness that God had intended from the very beginning. If there was ever a message as we finish up this series, this is it. Community God has called you and I to be forerunners because that's what he was. He was a forerunner. A forerunner was an individual that would run ahead of maybe an army or would run ahead of a, some kind of dignitary, somebody that was super important and would let people know, like a voice. They would yell, they would shout like, you know, here comes Jesus or, you know, you know, you know, here comes, here, you know, here comes Alan. Because, you know, that's, that's what happens at Wendy and Alan's house. He's got this thing and his voice when he walks through the door, now entering Alan. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, although now I've given him an idea and he's probably going to figure it out. But anyways... Right? Yeah, you like it, right? I, I feel the same way, you know? And, uh, you know, so, but, but you would go ahead as a voice and you would just make this declaration that someone is coming, someone is important that's making, one that would go ahead of that dignitary and make sure that the pathway is smooth. 
meaning they would begin to address all of the, you know, the rocks or the stones or the brush or whatever, kind of like we did yesterday. We cleared the land and, you know, moved stuff and put it on the burn pile, but we got it out of the way. And that's what a forerunner did. And, and, and for me, that's, that's the beauty of John the Baptist because, you know, one of his challenges, you know, you talk about, you know, hurdles. You know, he wasn't physically moving stones, but what he was doing was he was prepping the way for Jesus to come by his message. Because one of the issues for the Israelites is, is now the very Messiah that they've talked about for generations, Prophetic words, prophecies that have been, you know, that they've known, you know, for years. Now, all of a sudden, this Messiah is going to come. But the problem is, is that the Messiah that's coming is not going to come and do what they think the Messiah is going to come to do in the way of an earthly king. But this king is coming to rule everything. And in order to do so, this king is not going to overthrow, you know, the governments or the Roman government, which is really their passion as, as an Israel nation. They just, they were under Rome's rule and didn't like it, didn't want to have that anymore. And so in, at this, uh, this point in time, what you had was a group of people that just said, man, what, whoever could just overthrow the, the influence of the Roman government, we would be happy to establish us as our own nation again, to you know, capture Jerusalem and, and to take over you know, what belongs to us. All of that, and that fight that still continues today, by the way. And so, you know, here they are, and that's what they're anticipating. But John, you know, as the forerunner who's been prophesied, you know, from Isaiah chapter 40, that's where that comes from, you know, that he's going to come and he's going to prepare the way for this, the Messiah to come. He's beginning to bring the focus back, and he's beginning to prep the Israelites for this new message, this new person, the real Messiah, Jesus. And so he comes because that would have been the hurdle for them. The, the hurdle for them is, is that they would have had a hard time. And, you know, for, we know that when it came to the ministry of Jesus, people really loved it. And they, man, they just enjoyed it. They celebrated it. But eventually those shouts of joy came to shouts of crucify him eventually. And so he was preparing the way. Preparing and getting their hearts ready and like a bridge providing access or in a way for them to get to Jesus. And John's life was prepping a way so that Jesus now can get to them. By just beginning to sow that message of not just repentance and forgiveness of sins, but he said, someone more powerful than I. Meaning a greater teacher, a greater rabbi in their context is about to come, and I'm not worthy of tying his sandals. Because what he's going to do in your life, I can't. Only he can. And the transformation, you know, of our lives. And so John became this, this voice. And do you know my prayer? My prayer for us as a church when we think about being disciple makers, when we think about going into our world, my heart and my prayer is that we would have the same kind of influence that, that John the Baptist had. You know, I remember reading this, that one scholar had said this, that, that John's preaching literally had aroused a lot of interest and created a great stir. I mean, so much of a great stir that people were coming out from where he was in the way of the desert, which, by the way, the desert here doesn't refer to sand. 
The desert here refers to a ground that is super rocky. It is, it's wild. Um, it's just messed up. It might look like your front lawn right now. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your issue, you know? Like, but, but I'm just saying, like, it's just, it's just a rocky area. It's not great for, it's not conducive for necessarily growing good things. And they would come from Jerusalem, from all of these different parts, just to hear the message of of John, who's wearing, you know, uh, I go back to this description, and I'll get to this in a second. Um, but I love this description. That's why I think it's so funny because we're talking about the ministry. This is what's really important. But yet the, but Mark decides it's important to also let you know that he was, you know, he wore clothes that was made out of camel's hair, and you know, and, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. I've got a feeling that John was just a little bit outside of his culture. Like, I have a feeling that he wasn't really your stereotypical, like, you know, the kind of guy that you would pay money to go see and hear and listen. I think he was a little uh, eccentric, maybe. I don't know. But, but the fact that it gets described, and people are drawn to him because his message is so powerful. And my prayer and my question at the same time is, my prayer is that we would be a voice like that in our generation that would arouse hearers. That what we say when it comes to our culture, how we live, the impact on it, our voice in the way of speaking to spiritual things, God things, Jesus things, would cause people to have an interest or create a, you know, a stir. My question is, does it? Or am I? Am I using my voice? Am I speaking into situations? And understand, I'm not talking about going off on Facebook on a rant or Twitter, you know? And you can kind of do it from Instagram if you want to, but, you know, it's kind of short-lived. But I'm talking about seeing the situations like People who feel like there is no hope saying, hey, but there is, and your life is worth living, and I want to introduce you to Jesus. Yeah, I, just even as I say that, I, I think about the video that Marcel showed me on, on Friday about this, uh, they, they videotaped him praying for this guy, and the first thing out of this guy's mouth after his back gets healed is he looks at um, Marcel, and he says, so like, what kind of energy are you using? And Marcel goes, no, 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 man, there's no energy. I've got, and this is literally, I love this, and I don't even know if Marcel realized he was saying, and he goes, I have nothing. It has nothing to do with me. It's just Jesus. So can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you how much he cares about you. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and uh, uh, Kerry Newhoff up in Connexus, shout out to Kerry Newhoff, maybe he'll give a shout out to Community Church when he hears this podcast, I doubt he's following us, but anyways, and he was interviewing a pastor, um, I believe his name is Judd uh, Wyatt, and he is a pastor who pastors a church in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, we're talking about, like, Las Vegas, you know, like, that's not an easy place to pastor, but he's pastoring a church that has, like, eight locations. Uh, three of them are 
in prisons. And he has about 20,000 people that attend his services through those different locations. God's doing something pretty cool through his life and through the ministry there. But he, he was, you know, asked this question about, you know, when you're sharing and preaching, you know, you're in Las Vegas. Like, what's, what's your thing? And he said, no matter who you are. And he goes, this is not just Las Vegas. He goes, everybody has a need. You just have to figure out what that is. And then you need to share how Jesus can touch that need. That's it. Because that's what Jesus wants to do. And God wants to use you as a voice. But my struggle, my struggle, because I know right now you're probably sitting there going, PC, we've kind of heard this message in different ways over the last three or four weeks. And you're right. Except... My, 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 my problem is, is that we're called to be this voice. We're called to, you know, be this bridge that helps, you know, people have an access or find their way to God through your life, through your relationships, through your ministry, you know, through your conversation, through your character, through your own transformation. And that God is using you to your life and he's, he's, he's actually impressing people's lives through your life. There's that bridge, that access way. And the question is not that we're, you know, a bridge, but, or the question is not whether we're being a voice. And, and I think all of us catch that. And we all caught, you know, that over the last few weeks. We want to be that voice. We want to speak to our generation. We want to reach. We want to walk alongside. We want to help people discover Jesus and then grow in Christ. Because that's the responsibility of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The question is, are we a bridge or are we an obstacle? That's the real question. See, it's not a matter of, do we want to be a bridge? Yeah, 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 we can be a bridge. The problem is, are we a bridge or are we the obstacle? Are we bigger than the obstacle that's keeping them from getting to Jesus or Jesus getting to them through you and I? And I want to hit two things really quickly uh, this morning that I find in the discipleship journey, evangelism journey, uh, when we go and as we go, that I think can make us more of an obstacle than a bridge, but if it's done correctly, we can be a bridge and not an obstacle. Here's the first one, motive. If evangelism and discipleship is rooted in, and I, when I say this, when it's rooted in just because it's what God called me to, the moment it becomes a task, it no longer is relational. It's a Task And generally when we're doing a task, no matter how good we feel about it, no matter how important we put on, the importance we put on it, whatever that might be, regardless of that, the moment that it switches to I'm just doing this because the Bible tells me to, the moment it becomes not so genuine. And when it's not so genuine, there's a disconnect. Because every one of us in this room knows that when someone's not being genuine with us, we disconnect from it. We don't listen. We don't receive the same way. And I'm not saying someone won't get there. But if they don't get a sense that they're more than a task, if they don't understand that they are valued for who they are, that I'm not just doing this because the Bible calls me to do it. I'm doing this because I'm driven by the love that God has for you. I may not know you, but I'm driven because inside of me, Jesus lives and exists, and his heart beats is actually now becoming my heartbeats. 
and the way that his heart beat for this generation. The way, and, and let me, let me, let me just, you know, broaden that for a little bit. Luke chapter 19, we won't go there here today, but, but Luke in chapter 19, being Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the Passion Week. It's the, it's the entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. This is the beginning. So that's why we celebrate you know, Palm Sunday, because Jesus makes his final entry into Jerusalem. He's making his way to, to be arrested. He's making his way to die on a cross. He's making his way to eventually resurrect from the grave, so that conquer sin and death, so that you and I can be free, completely free, and have a complete relationship with him. And in Luke chapter 19, we all know, you know, because they took palm branches like this right here. And, and the palm branches, you know, they would lay it down in front of the donkey. And what was really interesting about that particular image is that the palm tree represented victory. Jesus was on his way. He was riding on victory. He was walking towards victory. Victory over sin and death. So that the very thing, the very thing that has been Jewish tradition where every year I've got to sacrifice, you know, a lamb so that I can, you know, ask for forgiveness of my sins. But, but then i got to do that every single year. Jesus says, come once and for all. Here it is. Victory. Actually, it was palm branches they would use to intertwine to create crowns for the victor. But what's interesting about that passage in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and on, the scripture says that as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he began to weep. The actual Greek term there refers to someone crying out loud. So this wasn't one of those like, you know, you know, you just kind of like when you hurt yourself, like you drop a hammer on your toe and, and you, you know, because you don't want to say anything that you know you shouldn't and you're like, you know, and you start to cry inside and maybe a little bit out, but you don't want your kids to know because they don't, you know, last thing you want is your, for your kids to think you're weak because they'll play on that, right? You know, that kind of a thing. So, no, Jesus was bawling. As he entered into Jerusalem, and it's up on the screen, we have it here, verse 41 and verse 42, and I, I really, it's interesting to me what Jesus says here in this moment, actually, can we just put it up on the screen, I didn't put it in my notes, no, keep going, keep going, is that it, I did not put it in there, oh, I didn't put it in there, see, man, this is what happens, man, when you're like doing stuff and you're like, oh, I'm going to add this. It actually says that it broke his heart, and he said this. He said, if you only knew, speaking to the city, if you only knew the peace that I have come to bring. And it broke his heart because they didn't get it. And, you know, I was reminded of some earlier parables that Jesus had taught before this moment. There's three that were in succession. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And what do those three parables have in common? All of them spoke about the value of the lost sheep, the coin, and the son. 
two of them revealed a shepherd going after the lost. The lost coin represented, uh, you know, uh, God tossing tables, moving stuff around just to find a coin in a home. And the other one depicted a father that when the son left, let him go, but celebrated when he returned. And that's a picture of free will. God says, listen, it's your, it's your call, but I want you home. And I don't care what you've experienced, and I don't care what you've done. There's nothing that will keep me from celebrating when you walk inside the door. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. And I'm going to restore you to, because if you remember the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son said, Dad, listen, let me come home, and I'll just serve in the fields like everybody else. He goes, no, 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 no. You take your rightful place. You're my son. And the same way, when we come back to Jesus, when we come back to God the Father, when we have that relationship, he restores us to that same position, valued, heirs of the, of, of the cross, heirs of the kingdom of God. But he's celebrating. And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus wept is because he grasped how valuable. In fact, he didn't just grasp it. It was his heart. And if anything, we need the Holy Spirit to cultivate us in the discipleship journey to go beyond the task and that our motive would be that this is a lost coin. And that we would feel the emotion and the, and the heartache of God when we're, when we're sitting beside someone who's broken or we're sitting beside someone who's lost, who doesn't necessarily, we talked about it last week, not everybody's living in darkness, they're just living in the dark. And there's a big difference in that. There's a lot of people say, man, my life is good, I, I'm not doing anything that's you know, uh, wrong or, or inherently wrong and they're living good lives and they're charitable and they're good people and all that good stuff. But they're still lost. They're still lost. Karen, do you want to come? Here's the second thing. As we pray and hope that the Holy Spirit, not hope, because I know the Holy Spirit will do it when we just decide to be obedient to it. Just say, God, I surrender. I just want you to cultivate my heart to have a heart just like yours. Because it will change the way that we do things. It will change the way we talk. It'll change the way that we address situations. I think that's where we have the ability to extend more grace than we, than we often can give. You know, extending love that is unconditional when the natural says don't give it, you know? But the second thing is, is the consistency. There's nothing worse than a message that doesn't line up with action. You know, we talk about God, we talk about the transformation of God, we talk about being a part of a church, we talk about, you know, the family of God, we talk about all those things, but, but I'm telling you, and we all know this, it's like a bridge, right? Like whenever you cross a bridge, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one, maybe I have way too much fear in my life, but every time I cross a bridge, before I get to it, I'm looking at it, I'm evaluating it, because I want to know that this bridge can hold me. Now that might have been a weight issue, I don't know, I have no idea. Every time I cross this bridge over here by the office, I get a little nervous, I gotta admit, right? You know, like, can it hold me? I know it looks like a bridge, but, but can it live up to what it's supposed to do? And the truth is that every single day of your life, 
every conversation that you're having, that I'm having with people, while they're listening to you and receiving the message, they're looking at your life and they're saying to themselves, does that life line up with what's being spoken to me? If anything, our lifestyle and our passion and our, our when we put the kingdom as a priority or Jesus as a priority, because which, by the way, I, no offense to anything and everything that you love that's near and dear to you. And this might bother you and you might want to write this down on a communication card and send this to me. I don't know. But I'm sorry. The greatest passion, not the only, but the greatest passion and priority of your life and mine needs to be Jesus. Period. Period. Doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a dad. I love my kids. My kids are a priority. And I can show you in scripture where Jesus addressed this. Your job, super important. You gotta pay the bills. Hello. But Jesus, Jesus is the head, He's the leader. And so my life, my, my attitudes, my character, and, and can I just be honest about it? It's okay when we don't have those moments where we nail it because there's something about the authentic too that makes it real. Hey, I'm on a journey. I'm growing in Jesus. I make mistakes too. But can I tell you how Jesus has done this in my life? I can, can I tell you what he's worked on? You know, whether that's a temper issue or sin issue. Or I'm not, I'm not as gracious as I should be. Or maybe I really have to, you know, work on, you know, not losing my patience with something or someone. Maybe I need to grow in my love towards people. Whatever it might be, we're all growing. But people need to see it. It's not enough to hear it. They've got to see it. They've got to see the transformation in your life. And when your transformation lines up with what your message is, I don't know how to say this other than to say it this way. It just makes it more believable. Meaning, man, if I saw it in you, then, then I, that can happen in me. But the moment that the message is not genuine, man, people will wrestle. Just like they wrestled with our motive. So would you all stand with me all over this place today? Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything community. Also check us out at www.